0: I loved this concept of financial independence, retire early. I hadn't really seen a roadmap for it in permaculture. That became my journey, looking at these tools.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Permaculture Vine Podcast. My name is Cormac, and we're delighted to be joined here today by Laura Oldeny. How are you doing, Laura?
0: I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me on for this conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, would you like to give us a quick uh, introduction, please?
0: Sure. Hello, everyone. I am Laurel Oldaney and I am the founder of Rich and Resilient Living. I'm based in uh, the great in the greater Tampa Bay area of Florida in the United States, and I work as a green living and money coach and. The work I do there is helping people achieve personal and financial resilience in ways that are very much influenced by permaculture.
1: Yeah, that's great. Laura, I, I could definitely do some advice on, on that <laughs> green lemon and money. Uh so let's let's just take it to the very start, then. And uh how you where, basically when did you discover permaculture?
0: Sure. Uh so I am in my early 50s and I discovered permaculture now about 15 years ago and it was a pretty quick instant like yeah I want more of that right into having first heard the word and probably three months later being enrolled in my permaculture design certificate course and so when I got to permaculture I had already been working for a number of years in nonprofits and for the U.S. government. And, but I had, I was living in Washington, D.C. I had moved into a neighborhood uh, where everyone had front porches. There was the Southern culture of being outdoors, you know, on your front porch, chatting with each other. And I had... My, I wanted something to do while I was out in the yard, I wanted an excuse to be compelled to be out there to be interacting with my neighbors and building community. And we happened to have a city council member in our area at that time in DC who would host an annual picnic. And I went with some of my neighbors and this council person was giving away free free seedlings, you know, tomato seedlings cucumber seedlings it was the picnic was always I think in May. And so for me, that became this wonderful way to have something to do and be outside. And my neighbors were growing food and I was learning from them. A lot of them were older than me. And so you know I was already interested in sustainability. So I came to permaculture, like so many people through the garden gate. But once I got there, what really drew my attention, you know, I, I wanted to, of course, learn about food forest and designing my landscape and my yard. But I had been, you know, in those nonprofit jobs and other jobs that I'd had, I'd been doing the responsible thing and putting money in a retirement savings account. And even having moved my money into the socially responsible funds that were available to me through those employer plans, I... uh, I knew I was still supporting, you know, sugary beverages and single-use plastic bottles, the pharmaceutical industry, the financial institutions with predatory lending practices and the, you know, and so it still didn't sit well with me. So when I got to permaculture, you know, I remember, and I'm in the U.S. where we don't have health insurance, which is, you know, we don't have universal health insurance. And so it's very much for people often tied to their jobs. And I remember asking my permaculture instructor, do you have health insurance? What does this permaculture life look like? You know, how do we build this? And I was really drawn to, you know, the the sections of the permaculture books that I was finding that talked about the finance and economics pedal of the permaculture flower. How were people investing? How were they re- thinking about their retirement years? I, I don't have children, you know, not that children are necessarily a retirement plan, but, you know, how do you put... These this the t- rich tools of permaculture to use to think about the financial side and just the lifestyle design side.
1: Yeah, that's great. It's it's a journey I'm going on a minute with the lifestyle design, and I, I think <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely an eye opener. Uh, right. So you've 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 got your. Uh, you said you did a PDC. What, what where did you do your PDC?
0: I did my PDC through the Midwest Permaculture Institute here in the United States. So they're based in Illinois, although they did a, a off-site course in Madison, Wisconsin, and so I had I traveled up there for their urban permaculture course in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: And was that was that a two-week or was it a over a period of time?
0: It was. So I just went there once you know it's a little bit of a distance for dc so i i'm guessing it yeah i, I think you know a week or so i don't think i was there right like and you, so you
1: weeks. so you were already gardening uh you were get, getting these uh free plants you were letting off other people you did mm-hmm. your pdc uh how, how did you find that pdc and was that more of a, a an enlightenment for you or was it more was it like uh, how did you feel after doing it then
0: you know i felt I was really glad I did it. I I um you know was impressed with the instructors and the content. I think it all of it was so new to me. Like I I just like I said I leapt, you know, 3 months from learning the word permaculture, so there I am in the course. So it was a lot to absorb. I think even if you're already somewhat steeped in it, that is a lot of amazing content and for many of us These are huge shifts in the way we're thinking and what we're thinking about. And so, you know, I can, I'm still, you know, 15 years later, absorbing things, like things are landing finally, or I'm like, oh yeah, there's that section (laughs) going back. You know, I have no regrets, but I think your permaculture design certificate course is just The first step in a really long journey and the first phase of learning, you know, or an early phase of learning and and like all of life, but particularly with so much rich content condensed into such a short period, you know, you're going to have, give yourself time to process it and move through it and apply it and learn.
1: Um, would Would you advise that approach for everybody?
0: Well, you mean <laughs> the approach of jumping in? Just after jump on <laughs> I uh. I don't think it's a bad approach. You know, if you go in with your eyes wide open, with that realization that you, there's going to be a lot of new content coming at you that you know, you can't go out, I don't think physically, anyone and immediately apply all of it, you know, you you have to pick and choose what part of it you're going to apply. But I think that, you know, if it, it's such a rich toolkit, if you have the, the time space in your life, because time is a form of capital. And if you know, you make your trade offs with how you're going to use that time, you could do something else with that time. If you have the time space for it not to be an overwhelming experience um, to go through that learning journey, that course, and you have the financial capital or the work trade capital to make it possible, sure.
1: Yeah, so that was that, you say that was stage one. What, what was your personal stage two then? So you, you, so, you, get, you get back from your PDC?
0: Uh-huh. My personal stage two was going back. I owned a home in Washington, D.C., with a very small postage stamp size lot. And I went to town planting fig trees and raspberries and thornless blackberries, you know, just building my little food forest the, to the extent that I could in my neighborhood and really you know diving deeper into community and thinking about that and strengthening my relationships the the neighborhood i moved into at that point was primarily a neighborhood of people of color and it was such a beautiful learning journey to be growing food with them and learning from their knowledge and then you know we had civic association meetings and we it was very striking to me it was primarily a neighborhood of blue collar, often retired people of color. And we had the highest voter turnout for any precinct in Washington, DC. So it was a very civic Minded neighborhood, there weren't a lot of amenities. So a lot of it was house parties, you know, again, hanging out on your front porch. And so I dove into, you know, really just making myself part of the community and connecting and being a resource and going to those civic associations as much as I could, you know, participating in our neighborhood cleanups, however, I could be out there, you know, in community with people.
1: Yep. And then how uh, at the time then you mentioned so that you were interested in the in the, the sort of economic side of it. Mm-hmm. How, how, how did that develop then after your PDC?
0: So that was a slower um, process that was, you know, that kept stirring in the back of my mind. But also at about the same time I discovered permaculture, I heard about the fire movement or fire community and that stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. And I discovered Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, that whole concept, which I think he was one of the people that really launched lifestyle design into our vernacular, you know, our common vocabulary, and a book called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. And so... I loved this concept of financial independence, retire early. You know, I didn't necessarily want to be sitting around in a hammock doing nothing, but that financial resilience, that financial independence angle of not being beholden to a job or a lifestyle that wasn't fulfilling or healthy for me. And so all of that was in my mind. I was like, I like this financial independence and I heard people talk about financial freedom during my permaculture course on permaculture websites, but I hadn't really seen a roadmap for it in permaculture, just conversations and this vision of it. And so I was looking to fire like, okay, how do I bridge fire? Because most people in the fire community are achieving financial independence through investing in the stock market or you know creating these large real estate portfolios of rental properties that are you know exacerbating affordable housing issues and so i wanted the permaculture version of fire And so that became my journey, looking at these tools, looking at your money or your life, looking at the people like Google searching permaculture and fire, like, is anyone else talking about it? And that's how I found Michael Hogue, you know, from then Lily House and now Transformative Adventures. And he was one of the other people who had really been shaped and influenced by the book, Your Money or Your Life. And so there was him. I had also been really looking at the, the investment side of it, because again, I had those investments in those socially responsible funds that I didn't like. And through, you know, gardening and a friend of mine, I had learned about slow food, the slow food movement, which comes out of Italy. And is that reaction to fast food. And as a side note to slow food, what had developed was also called something, something called slow money. And it was this group of people who really valued slow food and understood that, you know, farmers and food producers who are trying to get us those high quality products are having challenges with access to capital. And they, these were people, these slow money were people were looking, they had money they, you know, that they wanted to invest and they wanted to be investing it in their local food shed. And so they were finding ways to make this happen. And there are slow money chapters, you know, interspersed across the country here, you know, where communities and individuals have come together to make it happen. And I ha- I eventually sold my house in Washington, D.C. I realized that, you know, it wasn't where I wanted to age. It's a very expensive place to live. I, I love it there but i also wanted to be compelled to be outside in nature more so i sold my house and i spent 2 years in a nomadic phase you know house sitting couch surfing camping crashing with friends and family and so i ended up for, for a short spell in san francisco and it just so happened that my time there coincided with the slow money you know norcal northern california meeting so i went and it was at that meeting that I learned about something called a self-directed IRA. So, you know, a self-directed retirement account, investing account. And that was the vehicle that many of the people in that chapter of the slow money movement were using. They were taking their funds, their money out of their conventional, you know, their employer-based retirement accounts, Those who could, because you can only do this if you no longer work for that employer and are contributing to those funds. But if you've stopped working for a company, you can move your money into a self-directed IRA. Or if you work for yourself here in the U.S., you can have a solo 401k. So these are tax-advantaged accounts to invest in. And some people who come to permaculture just cash out their IRAs completely, pay the taxes and the penalties. And I have great respect for that. I wasn't ready to do that. Um, so I, when I learned about the self-directed IRA, I moved the majority of my retirement savings into one of these vehicles. And it's something that allows me to invest in any legally- legal investment other than I think in certain types of insurance or insurance in general, I can't invest in collectibles. So I couldn't be investing in bottles of wine or art. And I can't invest in S corporations, but any other investment I can make. So I have invested, I bought a share of our area's premier permaculture farm. That permaculture farm has a very unique business model and sells shares to people. And I have, you know, made loans to regenerative farmers through a platform called Steward. I have invested in a Native American owned food business. You know, this has allowed me to move my retirement savings into investments that are much more aligned with my values. And so There, that was a big part of the journey was discovering the self-directed IRAs and then discovering Mike and, you know, uh, someone else looking at your money or your life and your money or your life is again, it's money combined with lifestyle design. And so from there, I have just continued to learn more. I have found other people who are moving money into self-directed IRAs for the purpose of aligning their investments with their values. There's an online portal, learning portal here in the US called The Next Egg. And I pay $10 a month to be part of that. And I learn and I share what I'm learning. And it's a support for me on this journey because this is pioneering territory. I am not a wealthy investor. So in the US, we have like wealthy accredited investors who have a million dollars or more. And it's easier for them to make these these, um, more regenerative investments because there's just so much regulation around these regenerative or these investments that are off Wall Street. That it's harder for non-wealthy investors to have access to them. So it's been a real help to connect with others who are also on this learning journey to learn from them because it's a completely new thing, right, so to speak.
1: Yeah, you're you're definitely placing the trail. Uh I <laughs> I love the way you've taken all the different things, the different elements, and you and you 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 brought them together. So if I was now... Uh, I'm not asking for investment advice, (laughs) but if if I was to, and I know you can't give investment advice, but for someone wanting to follow you in your journey, where would you suggest they start?
0: I think one of the easiest places for people to start with their money is to look at where they bank. Because so many of the, if, if you're in one of the major banks, no matter where you are in the world, your money is likely supporting the fossil fuels industry because those major banks are, you know, funding the, that really hardcore work being done to access the, the fossil fuels in hard to reach places. So, you know, think of, look to see if there's a community bank where you, your money when it sits in the bank is going to be used to support your local community. You know, that's one easier place to start. You know, I think, so I'm also a part of this group, the self-identified group here in the U.S. called Radical Financial Planners, because there are so many more people that want to divert their money from Wall Street and move it that these financial planners can't even keep up with their services. So I think just starting to have conversations with people, you know, that investment in the permaculture farm that I mentioned That came about because I just kept talking with people in my area saying local investing is important to me. I want to be doing this. You know, there's a book that came out called Put Your Money Where Your Life Is, and it's about local investing through self-directed IRAs, but it's also just more a book about Local Investing. And I bought 10 copies of that book. And I've gone around in my town and I've gifted that book to our economic development officer, the head of the Chamber of Commerce, the head of the Black Business Investment Corporation. And this is a very slow, long term effort but start having the conversations and building these thoughts in your community and just researching like for those i know cormac you're based in ireland you know there's something called the stockwood community benefit society i believe it's in the uk but it has an interesting model it's pairing an organic farm with this business land, business park and you can invest for 100 pounds you can buy shares they come with voting rights and it's you know, it's an investment that people in the UK can be making that aligns more with their values. And I think they offer a or, or try to offer a 5% return on people's investment. You know, so again, that's not financial investing advice, but it's just start having the conversations, start looking for the examples and start creating the opportunities.
1: Right. So, yeah, uh, so uh, an idea like that, 100 pound, it's not, uh, it's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's it's manageable. So if you want to start there, it's it's a, and that gets you gets it gets you going involved in the processes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and learning the communities. Uh you you uh, So you're involved in a lot of communities, which is which is a good <laughs> thing. So that's good advice to for people to get out and, and get there. So uh you've written a, a book as well, haven't you?
0: Yes, yes, with Mike. <laughs> with Mike. Just Mike. Uh, just the one just the one so far. (laughs) Do you
1: want to tell us about the book?
0: Sure. So the book is called Growing Free and the free stands for financially resilient, economically empowered. And the subtitle is building the life of your dreams without losing your soul or destroying the planet. And so the book is a very much strongly influenced permaculture book. We wrote this for people, for activists, artists, you know, permaculturalists, people who are, you know, trying to you know, steward a small plot of land and live off of it, but are struggling with the financial independence or financial resilience aspect of it. So how do you do this without losing your soul or destroying the planet? And, you know that that is the collection of information we've brought together because, again, you, you know, I think those of us that find permaculture, often realize it's such a rich toolkit. But these tools, like if we even just look at Holmgren's 12 principles, you know, I've created this little document where I've taken each of the principles and I've correlated it to personal finance. You know, some of them are super obvious, obtain a yield you know, it's definitely, we can think about how that applies to money or even observing and interacting. How are we spending money? How is money moving into our personal economy, our personal ecosystem? And then where is it going, you know, and mapping that really getting aware of it, you know, and thinking about in zones about our, our financial interactions, you know, what are we doing, you know, in zone one, close to the home? You know, what's zone two? It, do we have investments in zone five, you know, again, like, or beyond the stock market? You know, where does our money fit in the, within these permaculture tools?
1: Yeah. So, so it's not only like investments you cover, you actually cover the, the, the personal side of it as well. From
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so, actually, so, I'm sorry, Corbett. I was no, just go gonna head said, it's very, there's very little to no information on the like the conventional investing side even from through what what i just talked about you know the i mean we mentioned that that's possible we talk like there's a paragraph or two about self directed iras there's a paragraph or so about the po- fact that this type of, these local investings or regenerative investing opportunities through financial capital exist but it is much more about you know, looking to um, chapter 14 of Mollison's designer's manual and thinking about, okay, how do we think about procreative assets, generative and degenerative assets, you know, and so it's not much of the book is not about that type of investing that we just talked through. Um, it's more about what, what, you know, how do we think about investing individually or as a community in, you know, a a seed press, you know, or an oil press, or, you know, for my, in my case, you know, I've put soap nut trees in my yard as part, part of my retirement plan so that I will not, you know, if I ever need to earn money from them, I will be able to sell them or barter them or gift them, you know, and certainly use them and save myself money it is, you know, this holistic thinking within permaculture, we have the gift of the tool of the eight forms of capital. Um, You know, so there's financial capital, material capital, um, cultural capital, social capital, which is that community um, living capital, which of course I think is what permaculturalists first and foremost think about. And then um, spiritual capital, and um, intellectual and, and intellectual capital. So, you know, really thinking about that holistic wealth portfolio, and how do we cultivate that? And again, it's the lifestyle design, it's recognizing the lifestyle that's already out there within which we were born into in our capitalist world, in recognizing that opening our minds to it, and then the tools to help you design your life around that and still thrive and survive financially.
1: Yeah, that's good. So if I was looking to redesign my life, uh, so you mentioned, I look at, look at my bank account. Is there any other steps that I would take? Uh, I think he's mentioned the bike thistle, isn't it on the, in the the book?
0: Yes. Yes. And I, I know Mike talked about that in, in his interview. And so, the bank step is the a great step when you're redesigning, starting with a design of your financial life. But if we're taking that holistic whole life approach, one of the tools we talk about is this idea of a quality of life statement, which is really just taking the time to get very clear on what you want your life to look like. You know, where do you want to live? Do you want to live in an urban setting, a rural setting? Do you want to live alone or with your family? Do you want to live in a co- co-housing situation with lots of people or just a few other people? Do you? What do you want your ideal day? What does your ideal day look like? Who's there? What work do you want to be doing? You know, what do you want it to look like throughout the years? Now, obviously, that's going to shift, but you can put some of that thought into it. So you get clear, you get this quality of life statement for yourself. Um, you know, how do you want to feel every day? And then you use that as your north star, and you start making decisions and choices around that that move you towards it.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's very implementable as well. So uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely be able to implement that myself <laughs> <laughs> and well, see
0: we talk about it in the book, and another book that um, I really appreciate, which was really the uh, one that put that term, the quality of life statement into my vocabulary, is a book called Redefining Rich, and some of your l- listeners may know of the author, Shannon Hayes, because she also book- wrote a book that's pretty popular within the permaculture space called Radical Homemakers. That was her earlier book, but that's a really good um, resource to also learn about a quality of life statement. And then there is a, a permaculture business based, I think, in California called Seventh Generation Design, and they have some helpful resources on their website around quality of lifestyle, quality of life statement and lifestyle design.
1: Uh, thanks, um, links. So you're, you're part of the uh, radical financial planners. Do you offer Do you offer this financial planning, or do you what What other, do you offer any services like that?
0: So again, I'm a money coach. I do the coaching side of it. You know, I will help people. You know, kind of look at their finances. I think a, a lot of times in permaculture we feel guilty or conflicted about money and we don't want to look at our money numbers or and really come, you know, take the time to get it under control and come up with systems and plans. So I help people with that, you know, really, you know, get a sense of, you know, how much you have, where is it coming in? Where is it going? Does it support your values? Is it moving you to, are you spending money that, in ways that are moving you towards where your quality of life statement and where you want to be going? You know, and I, I do share inform- You know, my experience and what I've learned about these investing opportunities. I have some pay what you can guides and courses, and I have a pay what you can guide to regenerative investing. That's going to be much more beneficial for people in the United States because investing is so often specific to where you are. You know, who's has access to even be able to make those investments. So I work with people on that kind of thing, the lifestyle design aspect. I really work with people on, you know, I, I, one of my early questions is, what makes you feel resilient? You know, and do you have that in your life? How do we design that into your life? Um, you know, and and th- those types of things.
1: That's all great stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, <laughs> thinking I know we're not taught about this stuff at school. <laughs> and. uh you sort of get responsible then when you get older, and you think right. Any day learn all this stuff, but it's it's. I think it's fantastic all the, the things you have on offer there. Um. So yeah, you, you mentioned that you had a property and you were growing. Uh, what was it? Uh, soap, soap nuts. Soap
0: nuts. Yep.
1: Do you want to tell us just about your property and your sort of what permaculture like your gardening practices every day? Your food. Sure.
0: Growing? Sure. So I have a pretty small urban lot. It's um in um you know, US terms, it's about 9000 square feet, which I regret that I don't know how to convert <laughs> into a more international term, but it's it's d- relatively small. I live in a suburban urban area. And I have, again, in Florida, so I have soap nuts, trees, I've got some papaya trees, I have not em- emphasized my food forest as much here as I did in DC but i do have some things i've got pigeon pea growing in my yard i you know mostly i am focused on perennials just because my soil is basically sand and i am slowly composting and building up the soil that's the first step you have to really do here in florida is build soil and compost you know i have some things in pots uh i have the root beer plant which i forget its n- name i've got sweet potatoes going i have some olive trees i've planted that are slowly slowly growing uh for the, much of what i do so my boyfriend ha- lives a mile from me and he has a very well established food forest with avocado trees and multiple mango trees and uh let's see what else a macadamia nut tree that's not yet fruiting just many many different trees so I you know a lot of what I eat comes from his lot I do a lot of um foraging I am constantly riding around my neighborhood mentally noting where the the avocados are falling in the alley where the mangoes are falling in the alley the lychees and I'm building my community capital I have so, several times gone up to people's doors where I see avocado, lychees, particularly just lying on the ground, not being eaten, and getting to know people and offering to, you know, pick these and off the ground and pick them off the tree and share with them, you know, and that's been generally very well received, you know, so there's, a, there's a lot of foraging. I also do a lot of dumpster diving. If we're talking about food sourcing, the majority of my food comes from dumpster diving. I'm just disgusted by food waste, and so we have a, a local health food store in our area that is pretty amenable, you know, to dumpster diving. They, uh, you know, as long as you're respectful. I've gotten to know this, the some of the staff members there. I go to some of the conventional grocery stores as well and source from there. I have actually earned several thousand dollars selling what I've rescued out of thrift store universities um and um even grocery store dumpsters because there's so much going into the waste stream as we know in permaculture there's no such thing as waste there are only poorly designed systems and misdirected resources and i do as much as i can to redirect those resources and then you know in terms of the food then we're augmenting it with what You know, my boyfriend has in his garden and food forest, or what I do, or what friends are gifting us, or what we're bartering for. I also, so I, my house, the living quarters, is on the second story, and there's so there's a garage under my house, and I don't park my car in the garage, and I have a friend who runs our Florida fruit co-op, and he vends at our weekend markets, but during the week. He needs a place to store his supplies that you know there's a refrigerator down there that he brought in uh his fruit inventory and so i barter with him for fresh fruit and he also gives thai massages so i get a monthly massage so it's like how can i how can i look at the resources i have and you know again obtain a yield it's not just about money or in our landscape i think a big part of what's missing especially you know outside of permaculture but i even think in permaculture this entrepreneurial mindset of how do we obtain a yield from things how do we look at things as investments and again that goes back to what we're talking about in growing free is shifting our mindset you know not to make everything transactional or about a gain and a yield but we can certainly bring more of that and we can do it in ways that are regenerative that are positive you know, that like the synergy with my friend who's storing his things in my garage, you know, I have a pretty long driveway. So I have friends who run a nonprofit, but they don't have a physical space. And so they keep their supplies for their festivals in a, in a trailer, and it sits in my driveway, you know, and there's no expectation around that. I have a shed that came with my house. And so my community has a Tuesday morning market and there are volunteers that run a clothing swap the first Tuesday of every month. Then they ended up needing a place to store the clothes and supplies during, you know, when they're not at the market. And so, you know, my shed's sitting empty, go for it, you know, and if I ever want to go get clothes at the clothing swap, I imagine they'd be willing to let me, you know, get some without even bringing clothes to exchange, although I do have some. So it's like, okay, how do we look at I'm constantly looking at what do we have, what do I have and how can it be a resource? The bamboo in my yard. So all right, I gave, just gave away the punchline, but I'll go here anyways. So when I <laughs> when I bought my house, I ended up taking out the shower configuration and I needed a shower rod shower curtain rod, and I really didn't want to buy another plastic or metal object, you know, just something that would end up in a landfill eventually, and so I kept going to thrift stores and yard sales, and I wasn't finding what I wanted, and then one day I looked out at the clump of slender bamboo in my yard, my own front yard, and I thought, I have a renewable, free, sustainable, beautiful source of shower curtain rods right in my yard, and it was just that shift in my thinking about it.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Uh I love this. The uh, turning your, turning your what would have been a liability into an asset for your property, where it's whatever return in capital you're getting. Uh, I think that's a good mind shift as well. It's like, how do I, how do I use these assets that we have? Um, yes, I, I think it's very good. And people, be you'd be surprised. I think at what people are doing in their own in their own homes. The, the like. Uh, Add that, but extra income to allow them to sort of start moving away from their um more steady job towards yes. the lifestyle.
0: Yes. And can I just add Cormac? I gave examples around my personal property, but I want to be very clear that it doesn't have to be your personal property to to start thinking about this. Like here in the in Florida, bamboo grows so prolifically. You know, you could just go on. Facebook marketplace and find people giving away, giving it away for free. You know, the, like the dumpster diving that was completely free. That's open to, you know, anyone obviously physically able. And I will admit the privilege of my color, skin color in dumpster diving. You know, I'm much less likely to be harassed by the police or even the, the shop employees when they do come out. But you know, the, the mangoes that I foraged um, I, at one point we had a, a food shop here where you could barter with them because they vended produce and i vended you know those mangoes and some other things that i grew and foraged and you could grow them in your a community garden lot you know I, um so it doesn't i vent, i bartered those for other food that i didn't have i have a friend one of the actually one of the co-authors of our book grows um, flowers in a community garden cut flowers and he vends them at market so I I just I, I've made a TikTok video about this type of thing before and got pushback that it was you know all things on my property and I just want to be I want to make the effort to give examples and make the point that it doesn't have to be limited to some you know pr- things that you own or that are on your property and it's it's something you can just do as a mental exercise as you're going around and looking at what the excess is and how could that can be ver- converted into a resource we can build that muscle
1: yeah and, and you can you can maybe not so easy in florida but i suppose it is possible you can farm on somebody else's land yes you don't have to own the land so you can farm give them a they get their vegetables every week and you get vegetables to sell
0: Yes, life. and that uh, yeah, that does happen here in Florida.
1: Yeah, it happens all over. I think it's I think it's great. Uh, market gardening is a bit too much hard work for me, though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you have to be young and fit and energetic for that. Uh, my Mike' gardening style is definitely a lot lazier. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's there's room for all of us. Um, so what's what's on the, the plans for your next steps? Have you any plans for the future or? Just just keep doing more of the same?
0: I think somewhat more of the same, but also just trying to figure out how to do the same better and reach more people. Obviously the book just growing free just came out in November. And so we're really trying to, you know, make it widely known, make people aware of it. We would we really feel like I've said that this is a fills a gap. In the permaculture space, it you know, it bridges permaculture and personal finance and just, you know, thinking this shift and thinking about investing. Um, and so we'd love to see more people in the permaculture space start reading it. permaculture instructors, you know, suggesting it to their course participants, putting it on their suggested and re- recommended reading lists. Um, So that's just part of the work is, you know, connecting with people, more people in the permaculture space. I am doing um, a bit of work, you know, help. I, I talk a lot about capitalism survival strategies. That's one of my most popular blog posts. And so I, you know, I'm really trying to to sh- create content for younger people to open their eyes and minds to the lifestyle that's already been designed for them. And then without using permaculture terms or, you know, but using that thinking to guide them in a different direction. And what I'd really like to do more of, and I think there's a huge... Another huge gap in the permaculture space that I've dabbled in and would like to do more of in the future is I think permaculture, you know, we talked about it as a lifestyle design tool and I want to do more of that. But I think there is a huge space in permaculture for more conversation around retirement planning, you know, lifestyle design in our later ages. You know, we we put so much time and effort into building these food forests and these properties. You know, what's gonna happen with them as we age and we're no longer able to take care of them? How are we designing our lives in our later years? Are we building that community? So even if we have kids or don't have kids, we'll have the support. I imagine most of us in permaculture want to age in place. We want to age with grace and dignity. You know, finances are one part of it, but you know, from a permaculture perspective, you know, what else are we putting in place? Do we have the, the, the friend circle that if we wanted to have that golden girls house, I don't know if that reference goes over overseas, but golden (laughs) girls was a TV show here in the U S where like, there were, I think five women in their seventies, eighties and nineties living together, you know, how do we use permaculture and apply permaculture to our retirement planning?
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm old enough to remember Golden Gears. Okay. <laughs> so it was quite popular here. No, good. I think I think that's really good. Um, I know on Permy's dot com they had they were trying to match older people with land with younger people. They uh-huh. you try and uh, bridge that gap, but yeah, it's definitely it's not something I thought about it yet. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I have and to. I have to build vampire first. <laughs> there you go. But it's so
0: much more than that because the uh, land is part of it, but it's also just taking care of our health mm-hmm. early on. You know, part so much in terms of conventional financial planning is earning money so that we can afford the healthcare later in life, but we created the need for the healthcare by working so hard to save the money for it, you know, over the years and stressing so much. So how do we bring that kind of thinking? And again, yeah, just building those relationships and building the skills to live in community. It's much harder. We're much more, more individualistic society these days.
1: Yeah. And it always baffled me. This, this is a big revelation. When I heard it was basically, um, the way the healthcare system set up especially in the US is basically the, the sicker people are the more money people make and the the better the economy seems yeah. and it's just like what so having a sick population is good for the economy which when w- what's sane society is that is that acceptable and I, I was like that's that's unbelievable. Um yeah, yeah and this uh I the book so we have a course coming up uh, launches in July, the PDCD professional course will be recommending thistle and Thank and the you. and the book will be included. And I was chatting to a lady yesterday as well. She's gonna uh, include it in her. Um, uh, she she had discovered it through the podcast that Mike did, and she was very impressed by it as well. So I think it is a very good tool. Thank uh, you for people to use it. But definitely recommend the book. Uh, We'll put the link in the description. <laughs> uh So Laura, where is the best place to find you? I know we'll include all your links in the description, but just in sure. terms of, is there one place that that's best to get you?
0: Uh My website is richandresilientliving.com. And I'm also quite active on TikTok and Instagram at rich underscore resilience.
1: Laura, thanks very much. Is there anything you'd like to add before we finish I- up?
0: I, I guess I'll, I will add one more thing since yeah. you post these on YouTube. I am on YouTube as well. I have a fledgling channel uh, under my name, Laura Oldaney. But, and lastly, I would just add there is so much abundance around us. We know that in permaculture. And I think there's just so much more opportunity to bring that into our financial and economic pedal as well and even like that again that more holistic view of wealth and i really encourage people to dive in more there as well
1: laura thank you very much and thanks guys for listening if you give us a like a subscribe that would be great and uh, if you found value in that that we really appreciate it uh, i think we've got a lot of value from laura today and uh we'll definitely be subscribing to the youtube channel laura thank you very much
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it. this was a great conversation.